0: Welcome to Restoration Church. Uh, My name is Pastor Kevin. If I haven't had the chance to greet you, I hope I get the chance to uh, this morning. Seahawks are done. Some of you that love the Seahawks, uh, we're with you. Some of you that don't like the Seahawks, we're with you too. And uh, we like you regardless. Um, If you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn your Bible to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. We're going to jump right in today. We have 49 verses to look at today. And I've been known to talk for uh, 45 minutes on one verse, so we've got 49 verses to cover today, so we're going to jump right in. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up. There's an usher in the back um, who will come and bring a Bible to you. Just slip your hand up. He'll bring one of those to you. If you're looking for the book of of, uh, Daniel, if you open up to the the middle of your Bible, you'll find probably a book called Peace Psalms. And uh, if you turn a few books to the right, uh, you'll go past... Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, um, and you'll find it there uh, after Lamentations. We have started this series last week uh, called Stand, and uh, I know it's called Psalms. I'm just having some fun with y'all. We started this series uh, called Stand, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Daniel. And it's kind of this idea that we're, how are we going to stand for our faith? Uh, Daniel, we see that uh, these, these people, God's people were taken in captivity. And they're brought into a, a faithless society. And the question is, how will they stand for God? How will they stand for their faith? And that's the question that we're going to wrestle with ourselves, is how will we stand for our faith in an increasingly more secular society? And so if you remember, last week we had a little bit of an introduction as to the book of Daniel. We said that the book of Daniel takes place um, around 605 B.C. It starts around there. And King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, they come in and they're, they're the They're the world power of that day. And they come in and they take over, uh, they take Israel captive. They take Judah captive. And uh, King, Nebi, King Nebi, Nebuchadnezzar, he decides, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to come into, uh, as I've taken a captive, I'm going to take 10,000 of, of the best young people, the brightest, the future. These were the people in high school that were voted most li- likely to succeed. He says, I'm going to take 10,000 of the future and I'm going to bring them to Babylon and I'm going to teach them everything. I'm going to indoctrinate them in Babylonian society. I'm going to force them into the public school where they're going to learn everything that I can teach them about how to be a, like Babylon. I'm going to force them into to Babylonian religion. I'm going to force them to eat what Babylonians eat and drink what Babylonians drink. We want them to be immersed in our society so they become like one of us. And so the book of Daniel is about four of these youth. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's going to be the question for them is how are they going to stand for their faith? Will they stand for their faith in a faithless society? And we saw last week That Daniel and his friends, they were more concerned about their testimony than they were whatever title somebody's going to call them. And so today, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to see what it means for us to stand dependent on God. Last week, one of the things that we said uh, was we said that uh, what you value isn't what you say. Your values are what you do. Your values aren't just what you believe. You can say you believe in all sorts of things, but if that doesn't play out in your life, if you don't actually live it out, then that's not really a value in your life. You value the things that you do. And so today we're going to look at the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is something that we hinted at last week. We talked about how the sovereignty of God was all over the book of Daniel, how God allowed Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to take Israel captive. We saw how God gave Daniel favor with the palace chief. We saw at the end of the chapter 1 where God gave Daniel and his friends, he gave them uh, knowledge and wisdom and the ability to interpret dreams. And so we're going to look at this sovereignty of God. If you don't know what the sovereignty of God is, the sovereignty of God means that God is in control of all things. We might not always understand it. We might not always understand what God is doing, but God is in control. God is working things out behind the scenes for our good and for his glory, even when we don't understand it. And for some of us, this is easy to believe in. Oh, I believe that God's in charge. I get it. I believe it. Like, I'm I'm there. If you don't believe it, I invite you to look around the world and you see the hints of God all over the place. But I don't want us just to believe it. I want us to figure out how do we... How do we live like that? How do we stand dependent on God, knowing that he is in control of all things, that he is the source of all things? So Daniel chapter 2, looking at the sovereignty of God, we're going to see that Daniel doesn't just believe that God is in control, but Daniel acts upon that belief. He, he, he puts that into action. And so there's going to be three questions we're going to see from this chapter um, about how we can stand dependent on God. But before we jump in, I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer. God, just thank you for this opportunity to be in this beautiful building, uh, to be able to come and and just hear your word being taught. Uh, We're not coming here today to, to hear a pastor give his clever opinion, because really this pastor doesn't have that much to say. We're here to hear your word. So God, I pray that you help us to lean in now, that we would hear your word, and that you would speak to us, that you would draw us in closer to you. God, I pray specifically that you help us to understand how we can stand dependent on you. Not dependent on ourselves, not dependent on our finances, not dependent on anything else, but we can be fully dependent on you, knowing that you are in control of all things in our life. God, I pray that you would speak to us the way we need to be heard, spoke to today. God, you know what it is we need to hear. That you'd comfort us, that you'd, you'd encourage us, that you'd discipline us. Whatever it is we need, God, I pray that you would speak to us now. God, I, I, I plead for your presence on us now. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the context of Daniel chapter 2 is the king has a dream. The king has a nightmare and he, he, he can't go back to sleep and it's haunting him uh, night after night. And so what the king does is he calls all the wise men together. He says, all the wise people in Babylon, he calls calls the the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers. He calls Dr. Phil. He calls Dr. Oz. He calls Dr. Seuss. He gets all the wise people together and says, I want you to come here. And and this is what what the king says in verse 3 of Daniel chapter 2. He said, and the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. But the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. You've ever heard that song by 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying? This is the original Get Rich or Die Trying philosophy right here. The king says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to to not just interpret my dream, but I want you to tell me what I dreamed and then interpret it. And if you're sitting there saying, for real? Like, that's what you want? I mean, I mean, mean, anybody could interpret any dream. Like, you could come to me and tell me the facts of your dream, and I could probably figure out a way how to say that dream relates to the Seahawks going back to the Super Bowl next year. I could manipulate any dream to be anything I want it to be. And the king realizes. The king says, if I give you the facts, you can make it be whatever you want to be. Interpret it however you want to interpret. So here's what the king says. You're going to tell me the facts, and then you're going to interpret it. And here's what he says, he says, if you don't do this, he says, I'm going to have you torn limb from limb. And I'm going to cause your house to be in rubble and ruins. But if you can do this, if you can tell me what I dreamed and then interpret it, I'm going to bestow upon you riches upon riches. Now, this king, we know he was evil. We know he was evil. In fact, one of the commentators this week talked about one of the ways that, that the Babylonian society would do this is it would take some trees and they would bring the branches down and they tie the branches down together so they're bent. And then they'd tie the person onto that onto that onto those branches and then they'd cut those tree limbs loose and they'd go flying off. And, and you can just picture this king is not a good guy. When he makes his threat, it's real. And so... Uh, he reader, the smarties, the, the smart guys, the wise men, they, they begin to balk a little bit and say, King, that's impossible. Like, we can't do that. We can't tell you your dream. And the king reiterates it again and says, no, 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 this is what's going to happen. You're going to tell me my dream and you're going to interpret it or you're going to die. And so here's, here's verse 10. Here's, here's the Chaldeans. They answered the king. They said, there is not a man on the earth who can meet the king's demands. For no great and powerful king has had such a thing of any magician or enchanter or chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with the flesh. See, here's Babylon, which in that society it was the pinnacle of the world. It was the 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 number one society, number one in the whole world. They had all the, the smartest people, they had the most money, they had the most of everything. And they bring all these smart people together and they tell the king, I'm sorry, king, we can't do this. There's, there's, it's not possible for any man to do what you're asking to do. No one can, can show the king except the gods. And I think that's fascinating. He says, no one, no man can interpret this dream and tell you what the dream is. Only God. See, what I find fascinating about this is Babylon, man, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic city. It is it is absolutely fabulous. But it's a society that is based on uh, all sorts of materialism. And so this is the idea of Babylon, is that you look out for yourself. You look out for for number one. You get as much as you can in life, and you hold on to it tightly, because you're trying to build a name for yourself. You're trying to build a reputation. And this is what Babylon, this is how they live, that you want to make yourself great. you know, And they want to take it away from you. And it's really similar to our world as well. Isn't this the way our world teaches us? And here what just happened is there were some things that happened in Babylon that nobody could explain. The king is going to all the wise men and saying, explain this to me. And nobody has answers for Babylon. You say, king, what you want, nobody can do. Only God is a God thing. See, there are situations in Babylon in which people have no answer. And there are situations in our world which the world does not have any answer. I mean, we're in the 21st century. There are some brilliant people. We've learned a ton more than we've ever known, especially from way back then. I mean, even looking at this church, there's some smart people in this church. But listen, we've all been faced with situations that there just isn't an answer. There just isn't an answer why. Why did the cancer come? Why did my spouse leave? Why did this person have to die? Why do these young people have to be abused? These are questions that there isn't an answer. Despite how smart our society is, despite all the technology and science we have, there are questions that the world just cannot answer tragedies of all shapes and sizes. And the world doesn't have an answer for it, and Babylon doesn't have an answer for it. And we look and we say, man, God, I've, I, I've done my best. I've, I, I did everything the way I was supposed to do it. And look at the ruin in my life. Look at all this, this, this brokenness around me. And this is what I want us to understand. Is there are times when our world does not have an answer for situations in life. But if you are a Christian, if you believe in who God is, then when the world doesn't have an answer, we have a God who does have an answer. And we can take hope in that God because he does have an answer. He'd look at all the pain and the hardship and the suffering of the world, and he would say, it's just temporary. It's not some cosmic accident that caused this to happen to you. God is working things out for our good and for his glory. And this is where we don't always understand it, but we, we have to know that God is in control. This is Genesis fifty 20. You've ever heard of Genesis 50-20 vision? This is where, uh, with Joseph. Joseph says, as you meant evil against me, God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as there are today. Joseph is saying, hey, you meant to do harm to me, and and this is a difficult thing, but God had a purpose behind it. There's not just this this cosmic accident that happened. God is working things out when we don't understand. God is still in control of those situations. When the world doesn't have an answer, we have a God who does. In fact, this may be, uh, as we think about being a Christian and, and, and sharing our faith with people, This may be the most powerful tool for us to to share our faith. Is when things happen, we have a God who has an answer. There's a guy by the name of uh, Jeff Eorg, who's the president of the Golden Gate Theological Seminary. And he talked about this very idea. He said there's there's four times in a person's life, four times in a person's life, that the world's going to have a hard time giving them an answer. And he said, this is the time that we have the opportunity to speak hope found in God. Four things are... uh, uh, Things break. Things in people's life, it just breaks. And there isn't an answer for it, except God. Number two, um, people die. No answer for it, except God. Relationships struggle and health fails. Those four scenarios become an opportunity, if we're attentive, to be able to speak hope found in God. When somebody's looking around at the hardships around them, we can speak the hope found through Jesus Christ. So there's no answer from all the, the wise guys. And so here's what the king says, verse 12. He says, Because of this, the king was angry and was very furious and commanded that all of the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the t- decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. question has to say, well, how come Daniel and his friends, how come they weren't with the wise men who went to the king when the king cowled them all together? And we've got to understand something, uh, that there's going to be this... that plays out is the other wise men become very jealous of Daniel and his friends. And we'll see this happen in the next couple of chapters. We'll see their jealousy flare up. And so probably there's this jealousy where they want to keep Daniel and his friends ostracized because they realize, hey, God's hand is on them. God's blessing them. We don't want them to come and and show us up. And so they've, they've kept Daniel and his friends separate. It says in verse 14, it says, then the king, or then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion, Arioch, the captain of the King's guard I love that Daniel responded with with wisdom and with prudence and discretion he wasn't one of, he, he wasn't a Jesus freak he didn't go protest with signs outside of the uh, king's office he had wisdom and prudence and, and, and tact and he goes to the King's guard and he says he says to he, verse, verse 15 he declared to Arioch, the king's captain why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Ariok made the matter known to Daniel. He said, here's what's going to happen if you don't interpret the dream. This is what the king said. Verse 16, then Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him time, that he may show the interpretation to the king. He asked for time. He says, king, hey, I'm going to show it to you, but just give me a little bit more time. You say, well, why is he asking for more time? Like, is he, is he going to sort through it and try and figure it out? Well, no, this is why he needs more time. Verse 17. It says that Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his component companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. See, Daniel went home. He's probably living with the other friends goes home, and well, they're probably playing Halo on the big screen. They're playing video games, doing whatever they're doing. And Daniel says, hey, guys, hey, guys, we've got to stop for a minute. You've got to stop right now because there's a problem, and nobody has an answer for the problem. So we need to stop right now. We need to ask for wisdom from God. Where's, David's, where's Daniel's confidence from? Daniel, he's a smart guy. He's a gifted guy. He's, 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 he's been given all these wonderful things that God has given him, but his confidence is in God and heaven. His first move is to pray. It's not to try and figure it out. His first move is, hey guys, we've got to pray. It's showing this, this immense uh, confidence and the sovereignty of God that God is in control, that God has an answer. And as we think about ourselves and, and how we stand dependent on God, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, where does your confidence come from? Does your confidence come, uh, is it tied to this world? Is it tied to your wonderful skills, your great personality? Or is it tied to God? See, what happens is for us, we, our confidence oftentimes is tied to our t- gifts, our talents, Our skills, our experiences, our finances, our past victories, if we're cowboys. I mean, our confidence is tied to what's happened in the past. It's not wrong to have talents and finances and successes. The question is, how do you see those things? Daniel, man, they've stripped everything away from him. They stripped away his identity. They've changed his name. They forced him to live like a Babylonian. But inside, his heart, his conviction doesn't change at all. He's still the same Daniel who understands that God is in control. And he still lives as if God is in control. There's a confidence that he puts in God and in him alone. Let me just throw this out. I love this picture that Daniel is faced with this news. Hey, here's what's going to happen. We're all going to die. The first thing he do is he goes home and gets his guys. I says, hey, we need to pray. The question I have to ask you is, do you have a group like this? Do you have a group of people who, when the crap's hitting the fan, that you could just call and say, hey, hey, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? Can we pray together? Because this is something we all need. We all need people on our side who can walk through life with us, who can pray with us, who can hold us accountable, and can hold our hand when we need it. And so they pray, and God answers. God gives them the dream. God gives them the interpretation. And Daniel's going to respond in prayer to God after God gives him the interpretation. I want you to do this as we read these next couple of verses. I want you to circle in your Bible. Okay, take your pen out. If you don't want to circle in your Bible, circle in your neighbor's Bible. I want want you to circle every time it says God or every time there's a pronoun of God. He, whom, that sort of thing. Okay, And I'll emphasize this as I read it. So just follow along and circle as I read. It says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He, circle that, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, circle that, O oh God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you, circle that, have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what I asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. In that short time, the short prayer, 12 times, 12 times Daniel is saying, God, this is about you. God, it's about you. In fact, the only time that Daniel says, I or me, is saying, I don't deserve this. I'm just the one asking you, God. Say, so, well, why is that so significant? Why, why do I emphasize that 12 times he's praying and making the prayer all about God? I want you to, to notice that because that's not like me. That's not the way that I talk. And I'm going to guess that that's probably not the way that you talk as well. Look what happens next. It says, Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, verse 24, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will show uh, the king the interpretation. Verse 25, Then brought Daniel brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said to him, this is Ariok, he's talking to the king, he says, I have found among the exiles from Judah, a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. You see what Ariak did there? He takes credit for Daniel. He says, I did this. I found Daniel. I went out back and I found this guy and he can interpret your dream. Dude, Ariok has nothing to do with this. He has nothing. Daniel came to him and said, go take me to the king. And this is why Daniel's prayer is so so completely noteworthy. Because Daniel completely acknowledges God. And oftentimes, what you and I will do, maybe I shouldn't speak for you, oftentimes what I do is I want to make it about myself. I don't want to make it about God. I want to make it about myself. I want myself to look better amongst my, my, my family, amongst my friends, amongst my spouse, amongst my church. I want to look better. And so Ariok... I see myself in him. And this is the philosophy of our world. This is the philosophy of Babylon. Make yourself great. In fact, this is going to be something that we see Nebuchadnezzar do throughout the rest of the book. It always has to be about him. In fact, why does, why does this dream scare Nebuchadnezzar so much? Because if you put yourself in Nebuchadnezzar's shoes and life is all about you, when you're done going through and conquering people, You have nothing to fear except who's going to come and conquer you. Who's going to come and take away all that you've built for yourself? It says, the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Are you able to do this, Daniel? Remember what's at stake. If you don't do this, you're going to be ripped limb from limb. If you don't do this, your house is going to be in in ruins. This is the time right now, Daniel. This is the time. Step up. Step up. This is what Daniel says, verse 27. Daniel answered the king and said no. (laughs) He said no. He says no, wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. Nobody can do it. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. See, what Daniel just did is you got to remember those those, those wise men. All the other wise men who came to the king and said, this is not something that a man can do. Okay, Daniel just backed them up. Daniel just let them off the hook. He just said, hey, listen, like your wise men said, there's not a man who can do this. You say, well, why is that significant? Because when we understand what's going to come next in the rest of the book, like those other wise men are the perpetrators, are the instigators of all the trouble that happens. There's no fiery furnace if there's no other wise men. There's no, there's no lion's den if there's no other, li- uh, there's no other wise men. Daniel could have said, hey, all those other wise men, they're not really wise. You should kill them. But me and my friends, we've got the interpretation so you can take care of us. No, he didn't. Because Daniel understood that when you love God, it means you love your enemies. And it says, and I want you to underline this. He says, no man can do it. But verse 28, he says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. See, last week, we said that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to tell Israel, hey, your God is dead. All of your God is good stuff. They're in the temple of, of my false God, because my God is better. Your God is dead. And here's Daniel going before the king, and he's saying, guess what? My God in heaven, he's alive. He's alive, and he knows all things, and he's interpreted your dream. See, if we're going to stand dependent upon God, the second thing, question we need to ask ourselves is, is who do your life and your gifts promote? Who does your life and your gifts promote? Who is getting the glory for those things in your life? Me, I'm like Ariok. I'm going to take the credit for myself. Even though, even though God has given it all to me, even though God has given me the position and God's given me the title and the power and the skills, even though God's given it to me, and I understand James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from God. I understand that. But my tendency is to always come back and make it about me. Whatever ability I have in life, Whatever success I have in business, whatever relationships or family or kids or whatever gift I have, my tendency is to make it about me and not about God. And here's Daniel. He has this opportunity in front of him. He's got this opportunity. The king says, hey, if you interpret my dream, I'll give you riches. I mean, Daniel could have said, I don't want your riches. What if Daniel said, I want freedom? What if Daniel said, hey, I don't want your riches. would not you just let me and my friends go back home? I mean, I think Nebuchadnezzar would have given it to him. It seems like he really wanted to know what this dream meant. But that's not what Daniel did. See, put yourself in that shoes. Put yourself in the shoes where the king says, can you interpret my dream? If I'm up there, I'm saying, heck yeah, buddy. Show me the money. Like, come on, man. I can do it. Like, I got the interpretation here. And of course, uh, I mean, I, I'd pray later that night and thank God for it because I'm a Christian, you know. But, but of course, if he offers me that money, I'm going to take it. Yeah. Come on, hook me up. See, why is it that we do this? Why do we want to promote ourselves at every opportunity? I mean, if I'm going to just be honest with you, I mean, our elders come together. And we pray for our time together as a church. And we pray and we say, we say, God, you know, through the worship, through the teaching, through the fellowship, God, would you make your truth known? God, would you help people to know Christ and make Christ known? And we're done praying, I'm adding a P.S. P.S., God, make sure they like me as a pastor. P.S., God, make sure they think I'm the coolest pastor in the world. I mean that's I mean that's just my heart. Unfortunately, that's that's how we think and how we pray. I mean, I mean, I hear pastors say, you know, it doesn't matter to me if if I come to and preach and there's only one person in the congregation or if there's 500. It doesn't matter to me. Hey, we count. Like we count. Like numbers are important. Like that's that's my paycheck right there. Right. Like it's 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 important. Why do we do this? Why do we promote ourselves at any time? And I know you're kind of looking to say, well, pastor, you're, you're kind of messed up. You just shared some, some intimate. What, what about you? Why is it that when you're looking at relationships with, at work, with your supervisor, your other employees, relationships with your families, where there are moments in your life when there's something at stake, even something as small as a reputation, and you want to pat yourself on the back? You want to make it about you. It's this natural inclination we have. I can do it. That was me. I interpreted the dream. It was me. See, Daniel didn't just believe the sovereignty of God, but he lived it. This is where God, he understood last chapter, Uh, Daniel one seventeen. it says that God gave, and Daniel and his friends, God gave them wisdom and understanding and knowledge, and God gave them the ability to interpret dreams. Did Daniel know that he had that gift? Yeah, he knew he had that gift. The question is, what does he do with it? Is it going to, Daniel's idea is all about you, God. God, it's you, it's you, it's you. It's not me. I'm not going to take any credit for this, God. It's you, you're the one that gave me the gift, the ability to do it. Does Daniel, is he saying, man, I'm all that great? No. no. Daniel says, I, I, I don't have this great ability, but I have a God who does. I have a God who has the ability to do this. And this is, a, this is the type of man or woman that God is looking for. Someone who understands that life is all about glorifying God and not about glorifying ourselves see, what I find in my life is the things that I do well, the things that I that I, I am gifted to do, I usually do without God. Think about this in your life. Isn't it true? The things that you do well are typically the things you do without God. And you can think about it like this. You, whatever your work is, say you're a mechanic. You're going to come and fix my car. Do you pray before fixing my car? No, because you're good at it. You know what to do? You just get in there and start... Pulling some nuts around and doing whatever else you do in the car. You can tell I'm a mechanic. Not really. You just, you just do it because you're good at it. That's what you do. I mean, if you're a salesman, if you're a salesman, do you pray before you go into a meeting? Maybe, maybe not. Because chances are you're good at connecting with people. Chances are you're good at building rapport. You're good at sales, which is why you're in that field. And you don't really think about it. You just, this is how I'm gifted. and I'm going to use my gifts to, to, to do what I'm doing. See, the secret about a gift is a gift has to be given. It doesn't come from you. We are actually, we are managers of wisdom and abilities and talents that God has given each and every one of us. And what happens is we take those gifts and those talents and those abilities that God has given us, and we used to build our own little Babylon. We used to make ourselves great. Isn't this true? Isn't this a struggle in our lives? question is, your gifts, your talents, and your abilities, who are you promoting? See, humility does not mean you're a doormat that people walk all over you. Humility is having enough sense to know that you're simply what God has given to you. Humility is just having enough sense to know that all you are is simply what God has given to you. Maybe maybe it's not your workplace. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your relationships. Listen, parents, how much of your identity is tied to how your kids are seen by other people? (laughs) I remember... I was watching the kids one weekend and I let my daughter dress herself. And my wife comes home and she's like, what is she wearing? And I'm like, she's covered. She's covered. Like you can't put those two things together. But if we're being honest, isn't there something within us that that somehow our kids reflect our glory? Like if our kids are doing well, that makes me a greater person. Ouch. Ouch. I'm feeling that one right here. That's our sin nature. That's Babylon of trying to make the world about us. Jesus himself, there's a scribe that came to Jesus and he said, the scribe said, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, why do you call me good? This is Jesus, the son of God. He says, there's no one good but God. Jesus, he deflected accomplishment and accolades to God. Shouldn't we do the same? So verse 29 and 30, we got to jump back in. Uh, Daniel says, "Why am I standing before you?" He says, "Not because I'm great. It's because God has given you a key, a dream, and God wants you to know what the dream means." So verse 31, Daniel's going to tell the dream. He says, he says, "Hey king, there's going to be a giant in your dream. There was a giant image, a giant person." And he had a a head of gold. He had arms and shoulders made of silver. He had a belly and thighs that were made of bronze. And he had uh, uh, legs of iron. And his feet were made out of of iron mixed with clay. And in your dream, king, out of nowhere comes this large rock. The rock comes out of nowhere. It's a rock that was not cut out of human hands. And the rock smashes and pounds the beast. And, And he smashes a piece into nothing but dust. And then the wind blows, and the dust is gone, and there's nothing left of that ginormous, beautiful beast. And the rock grows, and the rock fills the whole earth. Daniel says, king, this was your dream. There's no reply from the king. He's saying, wow, you actually got it. Verse 36, this is the interpretation. Daniel says, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom, inferior to you, shall rise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. There shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks it to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And you saw, and as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron, sh- iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle, as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay. So they will mix one, uh, with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of those uh, kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to the end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that the stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation are true. Daniel says, you are a great king, King Nebuchadnezzar, but you are not the greatest. God is going to show this to you. And and here's here's a little drawing I uh, I, I did for you this week. Actually, I didn't really draw that because I have no artistic ability. But here's a little picture that gives you an idea of of what this dream was. At the top, you see the head made of gold. This This is Babylon. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. And the second, you see the the Medo-Persian Empire. The third, you see Greece. This is Alexander the Great and the Greeks. And then after that, you see the Romans. See, what's fascinating is the book of Daniel was written in 539 BC. When Daniel was written, they wouldn't have known about Medo-Persia joining forces. They wouldn't have known about Alexander the Great. They wouldn't have known about the Romans. Yet God knew the future. God knew the future before anybody could have guessed it. And God says, hey, here's what's going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to have your time. There's going to be a nation that comes after you, and it's going to defeat you. And there's going to be a nation that comes after that, and it's going to defeat that nation. There's going to be a nation that comes after that, and it's going to defeat that nation. But there's one kingdom that will last forever. The kingdom of God. So the statue becomes this, this picture that there are two kingdoms there's the kingdoms of the earth and there's the kingdom of God. Well the statue says to, to Nebuchadnezzar is "You can do what you want for a time. You can do whatever you want for a period of time, and it 's going to come to an end, because god 's kingdom is going to come, and God 's kingdom is going to last forever." And any earthly kingdom, anything we build on this earth is going to be crushed and it's going to be blown away. It won't last. See, the third question that we have to ask ourselves if we're going to stand dependent upon God is which kingdom are you building? Which kingdom are you building? I mean, Daniel said to Babylon, you're great. King Nebuchadnezzar, you are great. It's all about you. And that's going to last for about 70 years. Because after that 70 years, the Medes and the Persians are going to come and take over. And after the Medes and Persians enjoy a time of success, after that's going to come Alexander the Great. And he's going to come and take over the Persians. And after that, Rome's going to come and take over Alex. And then finally, a mighty, mighty Rome was not going to last. And here's Daniel telling the greatest king of the world the greatest leader on the world at that point. He says, King, you're great. You are the head of gold. But listen, King, what you build on this earth is not going to last. Only the things that are built for God will. And for some reason, King, God wants to show you so you can do something about it now. Listen, what kingdom are you building? With what you have with who you are, with all that you possess, whose kingdom are you building? An earthly kingdom or the kingdom of God? Because for Daniel, doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or it doesn't matter if you have nothing. You have one purpose, and that is to glorify God and pursue His kingdom. In fact, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, Jesus pleads before the people. He says, listen, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Don't build a kingdom on earth where rust and moth will destroy, while thieves will come and steal. Those things are temporary. He says, listen, Jesus knows the illusions of the world. He knows that we have the temptation to make it all about us, to make ourselves great. And Jesus is saying it doesn't last. It doesn't last. So we have to know what kingdom we're fighting for. We have to decide today, and I'm going to pursue the kingdom of God above all else. At the end of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, he praises Daniel and he praises God. He never really makes this commitment to God, though. He, he says, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll worship your God as well. We'll add your God to all my other gods. And now I've got this really cool dream God with all my other gods, and he's just one of. And it says that, that, that the king gave Daniel a high position. The king gave Daniel lavish gifts. He, he uh, made Daniel rule over, over Babylon, over all the wise men. He gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They gave them high positions as well. But the questions we have to walk away with today The questions I want you to think about today is number one, where does your confidence come from? Does it come from who you are? From your great skills, your great talents, your great successes, your great personality, your good looks? Where does your confidence come from? Number two, who does your life and your gifts promote? Are you promoting yourself? Are you giving the praise to God? And lastly, which kingdom are you building? Would you pray with me? God, just thank you for this time together. Thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you for just the opportunity to open up your word. God, that's a crazy story. We covered a lot of verses today. God, I pray that you would help us just to to understand what it all means today. But God, you'd help us to know that we didn't come today just to hear a story. But God, you want to speak to us. And God, I pray that we will wrestle with what we've heard with. We'll wrestle with these questions that we need to ask ourselves. And not just ask and and give the flippant answer, but really search our hearts to say, man, where is my confidence from? There are some of us in here today who our confidence is coming from the wrong places. And we need to take some time as we have the opportunity to respond to God's word today and just pray and say, God, God, I'm sorry. My confidence hasn't come from you. But God, today I'm humbling myself and asking you, God, to forgive me and to draw my heart into you, to see my confidence from you. Some of us in here today need to look and say, man, (laughs) I've built this kingdom about all about me building my reputation about making myself great listen I've you today take that time to wrestle with that question about who does your life and your, and your gifts promote take that time right now to confess that before God say God it's you God I've got to stop taking the credit and the glory for myself and begin to glorify you and point to you as the giver of the gifts the giver of life and as we think about our lives, we can think about, well, whose kingdom we are building? Are we building the kingdom of Babylon? Are we building the kingdom of the world? Are we invested in the kingdom of God? Of seeing lives come to know Christ and make Christ known. Seeing lives brought to restoration through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, I just pray for each of us as we wrestle with these questions. God, I pray that as we have these opportunities to to sing these next two worship songs, that we would take this time not just to say we're done with the sermon, but God, we would wrestle with these things in our hearts. And that God, you would draw us deeper love with you. God, I pray that you would help us to do business with you now as we consider what we've heard, the things we need to do today and this week. God, I thank you for being us here now. Jesus, we love you and praise you. We ask this in your name. Amen.